Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Oh, it's always good to be back. Back in black, back in triple black. How about that? Uh, Anyway, this weekend, I know it's been a couple weeks since you've heard some new Sovereign Tech, but I gave you a triple load last time because I went to the New Hampshire Liberty Forum 2014, and it was fantastic. I loved it. Had a great, great time. Met a lot of great people. Got to meet some listeners of the show. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know. You know, there's there's always so much happening inside of those, you know, three or four days that you can really, you know, y- yeah, you'd think you have a lot of time, but amazingly, somehow the time just sort of goes by. Uh, but anyway, uh, this this weekend, you're getting, if if everything goes right, you're going to get a quadruple load. I know, <laughs> quadruple load, uh, because I will be at the Texas Bitcoin Conference in uh, Austin, Texas, at, uh, you know, next week. So it's uh, March 5th and 6th, I believe, to be exact. And I know I'm going to see some listeners there uh, of Sovereign Tech, and I cannot wait to see you. Uh, and, of course, you know, I'll be speaking there. Uh, I have a, a pa- uh, not a panel, I have a talk actually, which is called, is Bitcoin more real than gold? And, uh, as, as, a as a famous science fiction character would say, when I go to war, I guarantee you're going to see something new. Now, of course, I'm not going to war and I don't care for war, but, uh, I think the, <laughs> I think it's going to be a pretty interesting talk if I don't say so myself. So anyway, um, let's get right into the rapid fire stories real quick, real quick. You know, I, I, I got him. This is this is very tough for me to admit. Um, but uh, but I was actually I've been proven drastically wrong on something. And uh, it really it, it's, you know, a guy of my of my my intellect, uh, you know, has a has a hard time taking these things. And I, and, I, and but I just, you know, I have to when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And uh, as hard as if it is for me to say, um, you know, I made a statement in, uh, I think it was in, it was in either episode 61 or episode 62. I think it was episode 62 where I was, uh, I was talking about a country and, uh, the country's name was, was Brazil. And I said, then Brazil, they spoke Spanish and I'm wrong. They speak Portuguese. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, just a total, total slip up. Uh, I appreciate the, the, the listeners that actually informed me of that were very, very kind, uh, in, in expressing the fact that I had messed that up. Uh, I was aware that they speak Portuguese. I generally, in, in my own mind, I lump up Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese, uh, you know, kind of in the same vein, uh, because, you know, they're, 
like uh, one of them, you know, one of the languages, you know, will have a lot more of the feminine, you know, where the words will end with a instead of O. you know, in Spanish, you have both the you have the masculine and the feminine. And I've noticed I think it's in Portuguese where it'll have a lot more A's at the end. Anyway, I was aware of that uh, total slip up on my part, though, and I really, really appreciate uh, actually, you know, it's one of the few times where it, it literally I mean, one of the very few times where I've had to have been corrected on the show. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. And and again, the listeners are very nice. Uh, I, I treated it as I, I was totally playing up a joke there. Uh, but I did say that. And I do appreciate the, the the correction on the matter. But anyway, but speaking of Spanish speaking people, these people actually do because they're from Spain. Uh, BBVA, which is a very large bank out of Spain, bought one of my favorite banking services. This is our rapid fire stories, of course. Uh, and that banking service is simple. Uh, literally, that's what it's called is, is simple. Uh, they bought it for, I don't know, 100, 150 million, maybe. Uh, and as far as I know, I've recommended simple simple was actually, I think it might've been either software of the week or website of the week because it has a great app for Android and iOS. And then it has a great uh, website and I use it all the time. It's a great way to kind of be unbanked, even though now they're owned by a, a major bank. Um, but still a fantastic service. Uh, as far as I, as far as I understand it, they did not change the management at all there they're leaving the company in portland you know in the u.s it's not you know they're not uh making it go to uh to new york city or, or who knows what they're not making any changes so uh if anything it's just giving the company more capital to do what they do but if you don't trust big banks and you're trying to stay away from them as much as you can uh then yeah maybe you don't want to use simple anymore so but i, I still recommend it i still think it's about the best banking option uh, out there, uh, it, you know, again, in my opinion, uh, another thing is that, uh, that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago now is, uh, Facebook's new ad admin, uh, administrator, uh, visibility, you know, viewability. Uh, we talked about it. We, we weren't sure at the time is what's going to happen is if you're an administrator for a page for a Facebook page, are you going to be able to you know, is if you post a picture or a story or a post, whatever, are people going to see your name next to it that you posted it as in everybody that that follows your page? Or is it just going to be the other administrators can see who posted what? And actually, it is just going to be just the other administrators, uh, you know, can see. So maybe you still want to be a little careful about who, uh, you know, who your other administrators are. But all the same, uh, you know, it is it is really something that's that simple. Uh, and uh, let's see, what other, what other stories do we have? You'll have to pardon me. I am actually coming over a cold uh, from, you know, I don't know, a whole bunch of people got it at Liberty Forum. Maybe the government, uh, you know, spread the flu into the Crown Nashua or the Crown Plaza in Nashua there. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't think that happened. Uh, but anyway, you'll have to, you'll have to pardon me, but we will get through this quadruple load together. I promise. Um, so Duke Nukem mass destruction, the RPG that was supposedly going to be, apparently it was an RPG, not the gun, the RPG that's in the game, uh, was supposed to be released on February 25th. That has yet to happen. It has not been released. And apparently, uh, interceptor is, uh, is getting sued by Gearbox for making a game without their permission because Gearbox owns the intellectual property. So Interceptor, which they they recently they did the remake of Rise of the Triad, which was fabulous. Uh, you know, I mean, just a fantastic remake. Um, you know, they, 
here they are. They just they wanted to make a great Duke Nukem game. And some people have said that it is a great game, you know, but of course, that's all conjecture. And uh, they can't release it because Gearbox is like, oh, no, 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 no. We own Duke Nukem's name. Oh, yeah, because you did so much with Duke Nukem in 15 years. I mean, believe me, I'm glad they can't Gearbox release Duke Nukem forever in 2010. I really am because it was a phenomenal game. Okay, but really, you know, if you're not doing anything with it, let someone else do something with it. Come on. And it's not like, I mean, Duke Nukem's really appealing to, to a very niche audience. This isn't, you know, like, Oh, they, they just released a call of duty game without our permission or something. Even then who cares? IPs crap. Uh, so and anyway, I, I'm disappointed. I wanted, I, I touted it on the show. I really wanted a new Duke Nukem game. Didn't happen as of yet. Maybe it'll still come out. And when it does, believe me, you're going to get a review here first because, uh, Duke Nukem's kind of my Mario. You know, it's kind of kind of my uh, my link, kind of my Legend of Zelda. So when a new Nukem games co- comes out, I, I I pretty much play it right away. Uh, anyway, we we got all that. Uh, get be prepared for the listener email section. I'm going to go through a whole lot of things. I know a bunch of people uh, have emailed me asking me what do I think about happened with uh, you know with MT Gox, and uh, we will talk about that during the listener email among other things uh but we've got a pretty serious story to open up here with uh very serious and uh well we'll just start reading it and this has to do with something that's happening in oakland uh as in you know oakland oakland california uh and it's the domain awareness center also known as a DAC, not to be confused with uh, distributed autonomous corporations, which you're probably going to hear a lot about uh, during the quadruple load, if everything works out right. I just gave you a little hint. Um, the, the Domain Awareness Center, or DAC, is a surveillance hub currently being built, which aims to integrate public and private cameras and sensors all over the city of Oakland into one $10.9 million mass surveillance system. Needless to say, this issue is highly controversial. Not only here in Oakland, many U.S. cities and other cities worldwide are watching closely to see how Oakland's example will play out. On July 30th, 2013, Oakland City Council unanimously approved a $2 million grant for Phase 2 of the DAC, which will be funded by grants from the Department of Homeland Security and implemented by the military contractor Science Applications International uh, in- International Corporation. Well, that's nice. They're international. The DAC will act as a fusion center, aggregating video feeds and real-time data from a number of sources around Oakland. Possible program components for the DAC include integration of closed-circuit video feeds from all over Oakland, including 700 cameras at Oakland Public Schools and 135 cameras at the Oakland Coliseum Complex. Video and data feeds from all over Oakland are to be aggregated and monitored at the DAC, then analyzed with license plate recognition software, thermal imaging, and body movement recognition software. Possible facial recognition software and more, all with absolutely no privacy or data retention policies in place, or a substantive uh, debate at, at the uh, committee or council level about the program. So they're not even going to talk about it. Uh, this is all is coming from the OaklandWiki.org, uh, which is pretty much you know information about uh, about the city of Oakland. Uh, the DAC's stated intent 
is to improve the response time and coordination of first responders rather than as a crime prevention strategy. Though neither the city nor the program implementer has provided any data showing that the DAC that DAC implementation would improve response times for emergency personnel or reduce violent crime. Analysis of the use of video surveillance by the American Civil Liberties Union concludes meta-analysis from the UK, uh, again, from the UK because there's cameras all over London, along with preliminary findings from the US, indicates strongly that video surveillance has little to no positive impact on crime. Okay, now, I'm going to switch this up to uh, to a write-up, kind of actually an artistic write-up. So I want you to take a look at it. The link is in the show notes, SovereignTech.com, uh, by Susie Cage. And this was put up on Medium, uh, which is a, a popular, very exclusive blogging platform. Uh, and it says, it's talking about Oakland, California, soon to be home to a monstrous reservoir of data consolidated into one place uh, and paid for by a grant from the DHS. The Domain Awareness Center Center project began in 2008 to secure the port of Oakland against maritime attacks by terrorists, but has since scaled into full-service surveillance center, aggregating feeds from all over the city. What a shock that this is actually, you know, real quick here, I want to add in. What a shock that this is happening, you know, to, to secure the port where uh, Occupy, the Occupy movement, actually had some degree, uh, you know, had some degree of success. Supposedly they stopped, they actually halted uh, what the, what was happening at the port, uh, you know, but it's to stop terrorists because, you know, Occupy aren't U.S. citizens, even though that's, a, you know, the word citizen is a joke. Um, you know, they're, they, maybe they're terrorists. Uh, no, there's no irony there. Uh, Oakland stands out uh, for its rate of violent crimes per capita. In the last year, robberies have gone up 15%. No small feat for a city that is already the robbery capital of America. The crime reduction rationale is seductive and serves to drive a wedge between Oakland's newly arrived, more affluent settlers and the city's existing low-income communities. But the DAC is not the answer to Oakland's crime rate. Studies have shown time and again that surveillance has little to no impact on crime. More importantly, the DAC was never intended to fight crime. 3,000 pages of internal emails acquired in a public records request never mention murder, homicide, assault, robbery, or theft. Uh, let's see. It, instead, Rene Domingo, the head of the DAC team, wrote, Oakland's long history of civil discourse and protest adds to the need for the DAC. A long history indeed. The city has been the setting for some of the country's most recent dramatic political protests, from the verdict in, Os uh, verdict in Oscar Grant's murder to the Occupy movement, thanks in part to a notoriously brutal police department that has been under the threat of federal control since 2003. Were this happening in any city, it would be appalling. But in Oakland, it is especially alarming. The information sucked up by the DAC is public. But in the era of big data analysis, the sum of that information is damning to the extreme. A thousand small details collected by both big corporations and the federal government that combine to create an intimate picture of a private life. The local project is an unsettling deviation from the familiar, familiar picture of mass digital surveillance. And there's a whole bunch of examples here. But we're talking hundreds of cameras, uh, you know, 700 cameras around schools, 
135 around the Coliseum alone. Of course, I, I guess that's where the Oakland Raiders would play right for the NFL. Uh, you know, what do you say to all this? There's, there's two links in the show notes. Please feel free to check them out and, and kind of decide for yourselves. First of all, if they're making the claim that, and they're not making the claim that this is designed to help crime prevention. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The statistics are, you know, far and away against cameras doing anything to help with crime prevention. Uh, in fact, what does help with crime prevention amazingly is not more police. Go ahead. You want to try another guess? Any, 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 and Bueller, Bueller, any other guesses? Uh, more firemen? No, no, no. More, 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 more government workers of any kind? Nope. Okay, fine. Light bulbs, street lamps, lights. Lights can cut crime rates in half, statistically, in cities all across America. I mean, come on. How much does this cost? Ten point, almost $11 million. How many light bulbs could you buy with $11 million? I bet you could get a hell of a lot more than you can get $11 million worth of cameras and an entire, uh, what, what the DAC here, the, the domain awareness center government waste at its best intrusion of your rights at its worst. And it's both. It's both easy hands down. There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's no debate about the matter. In fact, like they pointed out, uh, you know, there's no, they're saying it's for first responders. Okay. Well, that's about all they said is that it was for first responders. They didn't even really list as to what within these papers, they didn't list that it was, uh, you know, for, you know, again, murder, homicide, assault, robbery, theft. Those words aren't even in the proposal. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the reaction is. It actually took a Sovereign Tech listener and a friend, you know, to even make me aware that this was going on. So I don't, you know, maybe I was that much in the dark. I'm not sure. But I'm guessing there's not, there's not a very large uproar, which would seem to be, you know, pretty obvious. It's like, no, we don't need these cameras. This stuff doesn't work. And they should be able to look at, at London. You know, and in certain areas in the U.S. and just say, hey, this doesn't work. Why do we need this? Why are my tax dollars going there? Again, light bulbs, street lamps. Literally, you know, in fact, I wonder how much would it cost to, you know, to to get a, a porch light put out in front of every building? You know, I'm using porch light as a generic term, meaning as a, a light that's by the front door of a building or house. How much would it cost the government to put one of those on every building, you know, in, in, in the city? I bet it'd be a le less than, you know, maybe it'd be a little more than $11 million, but at least it would work. Statistically, at least you have something to go on that, Hey, you know, this might work. And then they say, but, and because that's the thing, they can't say, they can't say, well, we've never tried this before. So we're going to try it now and, you know, we'll just, we'll just eat the cost. No, it's been tried before. And again, it doesn't work. So, you know, the, all this really, 
you know, it, it makes you think, you know, are they are they just priming people up for for mass surveillance? Is this going to be done on a mass scale? And here, here's a thought I, I want to run by you. OK, uh, now, what do we do about this? What's what's the answer, you know, to, to how to solve this problem? Um, you know, I don't believe in political action at all. Uh, maybe it's time to invest in a bunch of hoodies. Uh, quite frankly, you know, this isn't something that, you know, we have the fortunate that government is an incredibly uh, inept. Uh, you know, it, it it's just a <laughs> it's it's a dumb organization. Uh, and, you know, it's it's the comfort. It's it's kind of the one comfort we have with the NSA that, OK, fine. They have all these abilities. They have all this technology. But fortunately, you know, they don't know what to do with it. Yes, they're collecting a ton of information, but they don't have the manpower to really do anything with it or to even really process it. You have to become, you know, you have to become a target first for it to really do anything against you. Okay, and that's something that, you know, that I've, you know, not just recently, but over time, I've really come to accept is that these people just, you know, they don't know what they're doing. It's still so insulting. You know, that that they're pointing these cameras, they have no problem pointing them at us. But boy, if we pointed them at them, I mean, there'd be hell to pay, wouldn't there? But really, I mean, you know, they they almost don't have to do this, right? Because and in fact, maybe this shows just how, you know, confused they are uh, because Google Glass, you think, would be able to do this for them without them having to spend a dime. I mean, people are just going to buy Google Glass up. You know, what, what, what do they need uh, other cameras for? Or is it just making that much of a bigger, you know, surveillance state? I don't know, you know, but I want to make this point that, you know, I will say this. Okay. Look, if the NSA Oakland or Oakland doing this or not doing their DAC or not, uh, if the NSA, you know, if you're a target, like, like a, a really hot target for the NSA, uh, I don't think there's anything you can do yourself. They're, they're, they're going to find you. I mean, the best thing, you know, when, when we start implementing little bits of encryption, uh, you know, just as a standard for ourselves, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, that's actually, yeah, you know, it might not thwart them from finally getting to you, but you have no idea that when we start using a lot of these encryption technologies, whose life that might save, not yours, but the fact that you didn't allow, you know, your, your phone's microphone to turn on or its camera to turn on, that could say that could put the, the, the black spot, you know, in domain awareness centers uh, that, uh, you know, that, that, that saves someone's life or gets them away from tyranny. You don't know, you know, and, and that's that's an important point that I don't think we think about. Not that we have to be altruistic or anything. But, you know, if it helps someone else out, maybe it's worth using. So anyway, th- this is crazy. I'm sure this is going to come to a city near you in the near future. Um, I mean, $11 million to set this up in, in, in you know, in Oakland. Uh, I'm sure it's a lot cheaper to put it in other places. Uh, but yeah, it, it's pretty scary. But again, I th- with the, the one hope we've got is that these people just they don't have a clue you don't believe me they don't have a clue they're trying to regulate bitcoin how do you think that's going to end up how's that going to work out yeah these people don't know what to do with any kind of data or really any kind of technology but they try let's just laugh at them
I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. The time is coming on! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, where I talk about stories that get sent to me uh, through the various channels uh, that are available via Twitter, or you know, sometimes people get in touch th- uh, with me through Google Plus, or they get in touch with me even through uh, through Facebook. Uh, also, of course, SovereignTechAriseUp.net uh, is another great way to you know that's the email for the show. It's really the best way to get in touch with me. I don't always reply. To the emails, I get a lot. A lot of them are hate mail, <laughs> but I, I get a lot of emails. And uh, actually, one of those hate mails is going to be pick of the week. So, so be ready for that. Um, but, uh, you know, you can send it there. And if it's, you know, I do any, meeny, miny, mo. I have a whole bunch that I have stored up and I will do your story. That's what Tech Roulette is. It's where you get to control the content of the show. One of the many ways you get to do that. Uh, because, of course, there's also the listener email section. So anyway, and thank you so much for bearing with me after uh, coming off a, a little bit of a cold. Uh, again, I don't know what exactly brought that on. Maybe Liberty Forum, uh, which I had a great time at. You know, maybe I didn't get as much sleep as I thought I did. And who knows what I was doing. But anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, this this week, this is an interesting story, uh, and it's from uh, the Daily Mail. Um, which we've done some stories from the Daily Mail before. And, you know, some people can question uh, how seriously they may take matters uh, because I think we had a, a, a story about the afterlife that the Daily Mail treated like it was, you know, perfectly. Uh, oh, yeah, this is totally real. When the, it was a, the scientist that they were promoting was actually kind of a, a, a scientist for hire, meaning, you know, if you paid him enough, he'll say whatever you want him to say. But uh, anyway... <laughs> This is uh, this is pretty interesting. And it's forget the Internet. Soon there will be the outer net. Get it? Instead of the Internet. Company plans to beam free Wi-Fi to every person on Earth from space. Now, this is pretty interesting. Uh, of course, mail online is also generally for the, um, you know, people with ADD. I'm just kidding. I don't I, I debate ADD's actual existence, but uh, for for the the attention uh, 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 impaired, uh, the mail online is pretty good because they'll put bullet points right at the top just in case you really don't want to read the story. Um, an ambition, pro- an ambitious project known as Outernet is aiming to launch hundreds of miniature satellites into low Earth orbit by June 2015. 
Each satellite will broadcast the Internet to phones and computers, giving billions of people across the globe free online access. Citizens of countries like China and North Korea that have censored online activity could be given free and unrestricted cyberspace. There's really nothing that is technically impossible to this. Well, let's read a little more of the story. You might think you have to pay through the nose at the moment to, uh, to access the Internet. But one ambitious organization called the Media Development Investment Fund, MDIF, is planning to turn the age of online computing on its head by giving free web access to every person on Earth. Known as OuterNet, MDIF plans to launch hundreds of satellites into orbit by 2015, and they say the project could provide unrestricted Internet access to countries where their web access is censored, including China and North Korea. Using something known as data casting technology, which involves sending data over wide radio waves, the New York-based company says they'll be able to broadcast the Internet around the world. The group is hoping to raise tens of millions of dollars in donations to, project to, uh, to, the pro to get the project on the road. Uh, the OuterNet team claimed that only 60% of the world's population currently have access to the wealth of knowledge that can be found on the Internet. This is because, despite a widespread uh, of Wi-Fi devices across the globe, many countries are unable or unwilling to provide people with the infrastructure needed to access the web. The company's plan is to launch hundreds of low-cost miniature uh, satellites known as CubeSats into low-Earth orbit. Uh, here, each satellite will receive data from a network of ground stations across the globe. Using a technique known as User Datagram Protocol, or UDP, multitasking, which is the sharing of data between users on a network, OuterNet will beam information to users. Much like how you receive a signal on your television and flick through your channels, OuterNet will broadcast the Internet to you and allow you to flick through certain websites. We have a very solid uh, understanding of the costs involved. And as well as experience work, uh, as well as experience working on numerous spacecraft, said lead uh, project lead of Outernet, Seed Karim, who fielded some questions on Reddit. There isn't a lot of raw research that is being done here. Much of what is being described has already been proven by other small satellite programs and experiments. There's really nothing that is technically impossible to do this. Uh, but at the prospect of telecoms, telecoms operators trying to shut the project down before it gets off the ground, Kareem said, we will fight and win. If everything goes to plan, the Outernet project aims to ask NASA for permission to test the technology on the International Space Station. And their ultimate goal will be to, beginning, to begin deploying the Outernet satellites into Earth orbit, which they say can begin in June 2015. Now... There's some problems with this, okay? Now, I'm, I'm excited about this, and I support this, okay? Please don't, don't confuse uh, my feelings on it uh, if, if somehow I sound negative. I think this is a great idea. Let's do it, okay? Uh, it's a great idea in that I like the idea of, you know, getting Internet to parts of the world where it doesn't happen. But here's the first question we have to ask ourselves, and that is why, if this is so doable— perhaps with only tens of millions of dollars, which is what the company is claiming. Why doesn't Google do that? Because Google is very, very interested, and for purposes of funding their company, uh, in getting the Internet in every single human being's hands. Okay, that is absolutely quintessential. The more they do that, the more people use Google services, the more ads that they can field to people, the more money they can collect. It's quintessential to their entire business model. They got to do it. Okay, 
if they want to keep growing. So why isn't Google doing this? Why, in fact, if this is such a good idea, why isn't Google jumping on it and helping them out saying, yeah, no, this is great. Let's have Google involved. Well, the reason is, uh, is speeds. Okay. Um, this is actually a problem that, that plagues that's been plaguing, uh, internet adoption for decades, uh, or, you know, at least a couple of them. And, you know, it's like why, when you go out on a yacht, Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting a whole lot of people to have done this. All right. But if you go out on a yacht and the yacht has internet access, but say you're really out there, like you're, you're a quite a few clicks, you know, out, out on the Atlantic. Okay. Uh, you try and get internet access. First off, you're going to find that it's incredibly expensive, uh, to get even just megabytes worth, uh, of internet access, you know, out to sea. Why is that? Well, the problem is, is that you can, there is such a thing as satellite internet, all right? There's already companies like Wild Blue, okay, that offer satellite internet, you know, to, to, to remote regions, okay? Uh, you'll, you'll notice that that internet is incredibly slow, okay? And that's because there's issues with, uh, really, with, 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 with transmitting data, pretty much, you know, through the ionosphere. Okay. <laughs> or through the, through the troposphere, uh, you know, practically. So because of that, um, you know, it, it's an, it's an expensive, uh, you know, prospect to do and the speeds are terrible. Okay. Uh, you know, to, to keep having the satellites up there in low earth orbit, like they were talking about, all this stuff is incredibly expensive and clunky. It doesn't work very well. Okay, you know, your your speeds again are very very rough. So, um, you know, with, with that in mind, this is why Google is doing Project uh, Loom. Why you see, I mean, a lot of people thought Google was nuts. It's like, why are they using balloons? Why can't they just use satellites? But simple. Satellites suck at providing you internet. Okay. <laughs> right now, anyway, we don't, you know, maybe we can figure out something, you know, some kind of laser technology. Maybe there's something on, you know, on the board that I don't know about yet. Okay. It has been a while since I've been on a yacht, so I might've missed something. Uh, you know, I, again, like we said, <laughs> I, I can make misstatements on the show. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, you know, r real quick, I know I have a lot of, a lot of new listeners. I just want to make this, this comment really, really fast and I'll get back into project, uh, project loom. Uh, I, I do the show with, with pretty much no notes other than the story I have in front of me. I have very, very few notes, if, if any at all. Uh, I, I try to do this show from memory for quite a few reasons. Uh, you know, one is, is for me to keep in practice, uh, you know, just to keep my, my brain working and, and all that business. So I can be wrong. I can misspeak on things and, and I am totally open to being corrected. Uh, I, I mean, like, seriously, I don't take offense to that. Uh, you know, as to where some people are like, Oh, I can't believe you disagree with me. No, no, go ahead. It's, it's, it's fine. So anyway, uh, back to, back to project loom, uh, with project loom, the reason that Google went with balloons is yes, it's inexpensive. Of course, it's a lot more inexpensive than satellites. And two, um, you know, it just, it's easier to get a higher speed internet from the altitudes that those balloons would be reaching. Okay. So you wouldn't have to be worrying about the earth's atmosphere at all. Uh, yeah. And, and of course, you know, how much cheaper is it to launch a balloon than it is to put a payload up, you know, to cover all these different areas. 
Uh, I imagine this company, you know, that's trying to do outer net would of course do some proof of concept satellites. They probably, I mean, it's not just going to be one satellite, you know, their, their, their cube, what do they call them? CubeSats. Uh, it's going to probably going to be quite a few of those. Okay. And they probably launch a few and then test that out, see if it worked. And if it worked, then they'd have a pro- proven business model. And of course, you know, then they could launch more. Uh, it, it's, it's a really expensive way of doing things. Okay. And, and again, that's why Google, even though Google has all the money to do this kind of trick, they know that it's far more practical to do it from the altitude, which we, you know, within which their balloons of project of project loom would allow for. Okay. So that's why no one's really done this before. Uh, like, I mean, yeah, it's a little more popular with, you know, with, with phones, with cellular communication, you know, not data, but just like phones, it's a little more popular with that. And that's gotten to a point where, you know, it's pretty much real time, uh, you know, to where if you have a satellite phone, you can literally talk anywhere on the earth. Okay. Yeah. Those, those, those kind of things have been perfected. Uh, but as far as internet goes, yeah, not, hasn't been worked out yet, but I want this to happen for a lot of reasons. Uh, I like, in fact, I wish, I hope they can somehow solve, uh, and I'm not totally clear on what UDP is exactly their user datagram protocol. Okay. Maybe that's a way of like shifting the amount of data going so that it feels like it's going really, really fast or so that it feels like the internet's going at a normal speed. Uh, or maybe they're at least capable of achieving dial up access. I mean, you know, if you're, you know, if you're in the middle of, you know, some jungle somewhere, if you can get dial up, yeah, you'll take that if you, you know, as compared to having nothing. So maybe that's all they're looking at doing, but I mean, you know, this, this idea don't expect high speeds out of it yet. As far as I have an understanding of the technology, I don't, I don't see it. And I did do a little research ahead of time on this, um, you know, and I didn't find anything that, that somehow said to me that, that this has been solved, you know, transmitting internet from space down earth. So, you know, but I want these things to happen for a lot of reasons. And one of those being is that with the Snowden revelations, that we talk about, unfortunately, all, or fortunately or unfortunately all the time on the show with the Snowden revelations. Uh, yeah, you want multiple Internet. You know, I mean, you want multiple Internet protocols. You want multiple Internets. You literally, you know, yes, we want the plural. OK, uh, you don't I don't want just one now because now the one just scares me. Or it doesn't really scare me, but you know what I mean? Uh, I think it's incredibly important. You know, if we're going to really re-decentralize, you know, if we're really going to have decentralized things, okay, that includes the internet. We need multiple networks. And I am all for OuterNet making another network. You know, that's great. Sign me up. Uh, I, I, I think that's fantastic. So, you know, I, I support this kind of stuff, uh, you know, or then, you know, maybe take a technology, one of my favorite apps, uh, and in fact, I, I had the creator on the, on the, sh- on the show in the past, um, but open garden. Okay. Yes. It's closed source. Relax. I know. Okay. It's closed source. Don't let, you know, don't let perfect get in the way of the good. Um, but open garden is a phenomenal app and it's getting better all the time to where you can actually, you know, mesh network pretty easily Android devices, Windows computers, and, and uh, you know, in Mac OS computers. And so essentially, you know, OuterNet could talk to, if you had one device that had OpenGarden on it, that could connect to OuterNet's signal, 
then you could just, you know, you can mesh network from open garden and it's as easy. I mean, there's, it, it gets very little easier setting up a network. gets very little easier than it does on open garden, let alone a mesh network. And that's exactly what that is. So, you know, this, this has exciting potential, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, that's why I'm saying, I know I'm being negative about, Hey, the speeds aren't going to happen. Uh, Hey, maybe this isn't the best idea, but look, try it. That's okay. You know, please do. Let's have as many different, you know, I, I mean, I advocate for data packet radio on this show all the time, because I think that's one of the most, I mean, you can't get more decentralized than that, you know, because setting up an entire, you know, radio network where you're, where you're transmitting data and whatever all the time. I mean, that's as, it doesn't get any more inexpensive, uh, or, you know, you can't control that kind of technology. Okay. I mean, you can talk about scrambling radio waves fine, but I'm just saying that like, you know, you can buy this equipment. This equipment has been around for, for, you know, literal decades. Yes. Data packet modems weren't popular until like maybe in more into the nineties. I understand that, but you get my point is that the technology of radio has been around forever. Okay. And so that's definitely something to take advantage of. In fact, even outer net to some degree is still using radio waves. Okay. So, but this is great. Yes. You know, be aware that a lot of these technologies are not going to let you watch YouTube or torrent the latest episode of game of Thrones. You know why someone would watch that. I'm not really sure, but you know, just keep in mind, you're not going to be doing that kind of internet. Okay. But if the purpose of having other, you know, other internets available in your mind is to keep away from government control. Well then don't worry about watching YouTube. <laughs> okay. Uh, but as far as like, you know, and, and equally, if your reason is just because you're in the, you know, in the middle of nowhere and you just want a signal, you know, so that maybe someone could pick you up out of the desert or something like that, then you're not going to care about YouTube at that point either, or downloading whatever. Okay. So not that there's anything wrong with, you know, watching stuff on YouTube. I do it all the time, please. Okay. I'm just saying that, you know, keep some perspective on this stuff. Don't not be excited about it. Okay. Be aware that it's going to be slow, but don't not be excited about it just because it can't do everything that your internet at home can do. It's still worth supporting. And those speeds can change, you know, some new technology can come out. I mean, I think the technology, unless I'm getting something totally wrong about outer net with their, with their UDP, uh, you know, it would take when, when that technology comes out, that really allows for, uh, space to, you know, for, for internet to come from a signal from outer space, you know, from low, from even from low earth orbit, uh, they're going to have to replace everything like that. That technology, I, I would imagine, would be so drastically different. It's not something you can't just plug it onto, you know, some of their CubeSats up there. But here's the beauty. Here's what I really want to see. OK, is that get fund this with Bitcoin or with some kind of altcoin. And then put that blockchain up in space, baby. Oh, yeah. Like use use next like next coin that could do that because the blockchain's like practically nil. Yeah, see, now there's an idea. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. You've probably heard of pole dancing. It's been a form of burlesque entertainment in North America since the 1950s, and it often brings up visions of women hanging on poles in strip clubs. 
Well, you might not believe this, but there's a pole fitness association that wants pole dancing to be an event in the Olympics. The members of the pole fitness association view pole dancing as a cross between dance and gymnastics. They don't necessarily see pole dancing as being sexual. Pole dancing in North America is a distant cousin of fan dancing, which is a highly suggestive dance that a naked or scantily clothed woman does while holding clusters of ostrich feathers in front of her. What viewers are hoping to see is an ostrich feather failure. Now, fan dancing became popular in the 1930s when a silent film actress by the name of Sally Rand performed at the Chicago World's Fair, which had not been doing well financially until Ms. Rand started performing her fan dance. As a former movie actress, Ms. Rand had a pronounced lisp, which had not been a problem as long as movies were silent. But she was out of luck once silent movies were replaced by talking pictures. So she turned to fan dancing, and she not only saved the Chicago's World Fair, but she made history as well. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where I cover a piece of software that I find useful. Sometimes it's terrible, uh, but generally I find it useful. And, you know, speaking of something that uh, that is becoming increasingly useful, I, I give little regular updates on this because I considered it the greatest software goof of all time uh, next to iTunes, of course. And that's Google Hangouts. Boy, Google Hangouts is really, they're picking it up. They're starting to really, uh, really centralize with that. And, and, and it's, it's starting to actually work really, really well. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how often I'm starting to use it now. Uh, so I guess project Babel, uh, or actually they wanted us to say Babel, even though they spelled to, they, they spelled it Babel, uh, boy, nothing creepy there, especially considering since the Google drive, uh, symbol is a pyramid and then the Chrome symbol is an eye, uh, just having fun with you, I think, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, hangouts, uh, is, is working really well. Ba- Babel or Babel is what they, they called, uh, the, the unification of, of all of Google's, you know, communications platforms, which would, would eventually become Hangouts if you're wondering what that was. So, and of course, Babel, you know, it's the tower of Babel, but I, it's Babel. Forget it. It's over. All right, let's move on. Uh, this week I've got something interesting, uh, to, to, to talk about that I, that I like, because uh, this is actually in response to a misstep that Google has made recently. A lot of people, the kind of the new tab page, when you go into Google Chrome, okay, and of course, many know I use a Chromebook regularly. Uh, when you go into Google Chrome and you open a new tab, uh, they keep changing what appears when you go to a new tab, unless you have it set to go to a home page. Uh, before it used to show apps, then it showed your latest pages with a search bar and, you know, now it's showing a bunch of other things. And so people are finding, you know, they don't like the, the new functionality of the new tab page. And maybe they didn't like the functionality in the first place. And really once they went away from, not that the, the Chrome OS ever did this in the first place, but, uh, you know, on, on, on any other OS that you use Google Chrome on, when they went away from getting rid of allowing you to default to the apps page for your new tab page where it shows you like where you can go to Google music or Google plus or something like that. Uh, I was, I was done using the new tab page anyway, like it was useless to me. And so, you know, I kind of looked for an alternative and I found one and it's, it's awesome. I love it. It's called momentum. Uh, And of course the link is in the show notes that'll take you to the Chrome web store. 
you know, to, to, to where you can find it. And Momentum, essentially, uh, you know, it, it takes over the new tab page. It puts a, a nice little weather icon there. There's a couple other ones that kind of do this thing where they mask the new tab page. Uh, puts a nice, but this is really minimalist. And so it puts a little weather icon and your location in the top right if you're allowing for location, uh, you know, to, to be there. Otherwise, you're not going to get the proper weather anyway. Uh, or and it puts a nice big clock. It asks you for your name. And during the time, you know, whatever, you know, whatever time of day it is, like right now, it says, good evening, Brian, uh, you know, under the clock. And this is what is your main focus today? And you can type in whatever your main focus is today. Usually my focus is right, right, right. That's the, <laughs> it doesn't change much, but it resets every day. And so I have to just keep putting in the the focus of right, 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 uh, because I actually, I love to write and I'm trying, there's so many projects I'm trying to get involved in. I want to be there. There's uh, students for Liberty, I think has a, uh, or maybe it's not students for Liberty, but anyway, someone has a Liberty short story contest going on that I wanted to, that I've been wanting to write for and submit to, uh, there's an erotic, a couple of erotic, uh, short fiction things that I've wanted to submit to. Uh, and also there's the, there's an anarcho, I don't I used to advertise and I've had the guy on the guy's a great friend. I love the guy. I mean, I love the guy to death. Uh, uh, Rich Dana, Ricardo obsolete, you know, whichever name he wants to go by uh, is fine with me. And he obsolete press, which he runs, they're coming out with an anarcho sci-fi or anarcho SF uh, magazine, essentially uh, anthology. And I've been, boy, I wanted to write for that, but I think I missed the deadline. So anyway, write, write, write. You know, I want to write all the time. And so it's a good reminder for that. And then it gives you a nice little quote at the bottom. And it's everything around you that, like, it'll give a different one every day. But this one today is everything around you that you call life was made up by people. And you can change it. Nice little message. Other days, it's a different kind. You know, it's all just, it's meant to be kind of inspirational. And in the background, you know, there's a beautiful vista, you know, a beautiful picture of, of some kind. Uh, right now, I'm looking at a mountain range, which is absolutely stunning. And so that's good. You know, and I like that. That that achieves the whole biophilia thing, right? Where even just looking at pictures of nature, uh, and, you know, makes you feel better. Uh, so I love it. Check it out. It's called Momentum. Uh, and I, I think it's fantastic. Great way to replace the new tab page. Uh, you know, just Google, they mess up now and again. Well, more than now and again. I'll be back with more. From Big Finish Productions, Blake Seven. The classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. Pardon me while I have a little water. The producer of the show, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, one of the greatest human beings walking the planet, kindly went and got me some water. Uh, and she has been so good to me while I've been rather ill. And she's, oh, she's blowing kisses at me. I love it. Uh, 
And of course, she's been a little ill as well. So we've been kind of taking care of each other, but, uh, but she's great. So anyway, um, it is time for listener emails. Sorry, I got a little off track there. Uh, and I've got quite a few questions to, to, to get through. Um, and no, I'm not going to get into the television show listener emails yet. Those are coming. Uh, one of, one of the, the, the listener emails I want to get to is, uh, why do you do loads of sovereign tech? Okay. Uh, of course that is in reference to what you're actually getting this. One of the things you're getting this weekend, which is a, hopefully again, hopefully a quadruple load. And, uh, that meaning you're going to get four episodes, you know, there's going to be, if any, if everything goes right this weekend, you'll get two specials, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and then two regular episodes, uh, the loads come from the fact that every week, every seven day period for LRN.FM, which I am on, uh, and I can't imagine that the show would be allowed anywhere else though. Actually, I've heard I might be on some kind of radio network coming out of Washington, DC. I can't confirm that. But I've heard that. And if so, I can't believe it. I can't believe anyone else would 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 pick up the show. And you'll find out. I'll, I'll address that later in uh, in pick of the week. But anyway, uh, so to be on LRN.FM and just for good podcast, um, you know, uh, podcast protocol or etiquette, uh, you want to have at least one show a week. OK. And w- again, with LRN, I have to have one show a week. And so I make sure there's a new episode every single week. Generally, those come out on Saturday. OK, uh, but if I'm going away the following week, you know, because New Hampshire is kind of far away from everything, quite frankly. Uh, so, you know, if I go traveling uh, even to, you know, if I go traveling anywhere past New York, you know, my week's my week's shot. OK. And so I have to record multiple episodes the, the previous week. Uh, and so what will happen is, is that Saturday I'll release, uh, you know, I'll release the, the normal episode. And then what I'll do is on Sunday, again, that's the next week I'll release, you know, th- that week's episode. That way I don't have to worry about it while I'm on the road. Okay. And I meet my obligations to be on LRN. Um, so that's, that's what, the, that's the deal with the loads. And generally when I'm going away, uh, you know, I like to make sure you have plenty of content, especially if you're not going to hear another episode for a couple weeks, like last time, I want to make sure there's tons of sovereign tech available for you. So I'll do a special, I'll get an interview or I'll do a, a certain topic or it'll be something, uh, you know, from a panel that I did or whatever, uh, or a talk. So that's the deal with the loads. Um, next question is, let's see. Uh, the next question is what, what's, what happened with Mount Gox? Okay. Great question. Uh, Mount Gox, you know, uh, <laughs> this is amazing to me that this is somehow a surprise to people. And apparently it is okay. Mount Gox essentially is shut down for all intents and purposes. We can get into whatever legal terms it's actually doing right now. It's shut down. And according to various leaks, it has lost uh, millions, you know, may, you know, millions and millions of dollars, some odd 750 million Bitcoins. Is that about right? Okay. I just got a check from the producer. Yes. 750 million Bitcoins. Uh, oh, 750,000. See, this is uh, 744,000. See millions of dollars worth 700. This is why I have a cold. I'm sorry. 744,000 Bitcoins are gone. Okay. They've lost millions of dollars. It, it, it is a literal travesty. It is, it's, it's crazy. Okay. So people are saying, how did this happen? You know, uh, of course what's happened is, is that, uh, they didn't update their client. They were running on an older client that allowed for, 
um, you know, all, all kinds of crazy, you know, just, just crazy nonsense. Okay. Um, and so the bottom line being, how did this all happen? How did, how was this allowed to go on for so long to where they could lose, you know, pretty much 750,000, it's all right, 744,000 Bitcoins. Uh, you know, some people are saying that they, they didn't actually lose them, that they just lost the private keys. That's the most popular idea going around right now. Uh, I think that idea would came, was come up by Charlie Shrem. Um, here's what I think, you know, maybe that's how they lost them. But the part that's getting me is that I knew and so many other people that I know knew, and I'm very, I'm, I'm pretty well in tune with, with the Bitcoin community. They've known for years to not deal with Gox and to get all their money out. The, uh, years. I'm not kidding. If not two years, at least a year. Okay, fine. Who the hell was still putting their money there? There's, there was no need. You, you could, you could, you know, there's other exchanges within which to deal, unless you were like so desperately wanting us dollars, it doesn't make any sense because all this stuff has been frozen. All the signs for even the most amateur investor. Okay. Or the most amateur, you know, person doing arbitrage or whatever should, should have seen these signs. No hindsight's not 2020 bullshit. There's, there's no need for hindsight here. Nobody should have had their money in Gox. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And so here's the thing. I don't have an answer as to where exactly all those Bitcoins went, but I might have an answer as into how, you know, Mount Gox was even still being used. And quite frankly, I think that there were uh, big names in Bitcoin who essentially uh, propped up Mount Gox's reputation. You know, they kept it afloat. They kept the lie, you know, uh, going of, of Mount Gox's solvency. And because what was happening was, is people couldn't get their money. It was taking a little while. Okay. For, uh, you know, like some people were reporting, it took months to get something out of, out of Gox, you know, after they requested it. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I'm just, I'm incredibly skeptical. And there were reports by very respected names that Gox, there was nothing funny going on at Gox. Uh, it, frankly, all of this is unbelievable that nobody knew that, or that some of the, some really big people in the Bitcoin world did not know that there was some kind of crazy bullshit going on there. And so I think, I think a group of, you know, perhaps well-invested, uh, Bitcoin people did their absolute best to keep the lie of, you know, of, of, Mount Gox's solvency going for as long as they could until it got to a point where people started, which literally happened. People started showing up at the office door saying, where's my money? And this is scary because, you know, that's the thing with Bitcoin and I love Bitcoin and I still love Bitcoin and Bitcoin is proving how strong it is and that the price is going back up even after this catastrophe that the mainstream media is saying is the end of Bitcoin. No, it's not. Okay. But I'm scared about a community not Bitcoin. I'm not talking about Bitcoin. I'm talking about the Bitcoin community. That's supposed to be so damn trustworthy. Um, where no, 
apparently it's not trustworthy at all. Apparently this economy of trust, which is based on the character of human beings being to some degree impeccable, doesn't exist. I'm putting my neck out a little bit on saying this, but that's okay. Whatever. Fuck. It's me. So I'm scared because I think, you know, I'm not naming names because I don't know. I really, you know, I can't give you names that, to even know, but I just, I have a hard time and people, cause people are coming out and saying, oh yeah, you know, I feel you. I lost this many Bitcoins when I was in there, but we move on. I'm like, no, I don't think that person's that stupid. And I think they're insulting themselves, but maybe they're insulting themselves because the alternative is of the truth is worse. This happens in new economies. Okay. Where people make companies look like they're still afloat when they're not at all cooked books, right? You ever hear that? Not cookbooks, cooked books. Uh, and, and so that, so that's my concern. You know, people will find out hopefully where exactly this money went to good. Fine. Okay. Um, I, I have no answer to that. And really the fact that they just lost the private keys and some kind of degradation and all this, all that stuff. Yeah. That that's makes sense to me. I'm open to that. Okay. That might be the best answer, but, uh, but my bigger concern is how did Gox get away with this for so long? Who kept telling these people to trust Gox? And that's, that's the only thing I could think is that because if these people lost as much money as they're talking about, I, I just, I can't believe they kept it in Gox. I can't believe people were that dumb. Maybe, but boy, it's a stretch. It's a, it's a big stretch to think that. Uh, so I think they were, these people who were putting big money in Gox still were getting personal assurances from reputable people, quote unquote, reputable people saying, no, Gox is fine. And so there's, there's just, there's a whole ton of blind spots and the blind spots don't solely ride on Gox in this. Gox is plenty to blame. Believe me. Okay. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying there's blind spots elsewhere and people need to be talking about that. And I'm not hearing anybody else talk about it. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I've been wrong about Bitcoin shit before. Believe me. I had boy, when I did my first Bitcoin special almost two years ago, I had people, Oh, you got this part wrong. You got this part wrong. Okay. Well, I got two things wrong. Holy shit. You know, crucify me. Um, wouldn't be the last time that happened to, you know, a 33 year old Jew, right? Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> but I'm 32 years old, actually. Uh, anyway, let's move on from that. Okay. Uh, the last, the last question I want to address is, um, that I got a phone call from uh, a listener that I, I have a lot of, of sovereign tech and of free talk live. So the phone call was to, was to free talk live on a Sunday night, uh, a couple of weeks back, a uh, guy I have tremendous respect for. He asked a very valid question of me, uh, on the show on the Sunday night show, which I regularly host. And, um, and he, he called in and he said, you know, he's like, Brian, y- you keep calling yourself a feminist. He's like, why, why do you do that? Don't you think that's a pretty inaccurate term? Don't you think that's problematic? And it's something I had been meaning because I had gotten other emails about this. Like, why do you call yourself a feminist? I can't believe you do this. Um, I had gotten other emails about it. And so 
it really I was glad he called and asked because it gave me the chance to really express not just to the sovereign tech audience, but to the free talk live audience, why I do identify with that term. And I want to address that here uh, quickly because I don't think it takes long to explain uh, my reasons for calling myself a feminist are, you know, and, and my my affiliation, I guess, with with feminist history and feminist thought is that it's the only school of thought, philosophical school of thought. OK, and it is that I mean, look at Emma Goldman. That's philosophy. Um, it's the only one that has attempted to attack social conventions or not, not attack, but to question them and to process them. Uh, so, social conventions like marriage, family, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, mom, dad, uh, you know, of even really sexual issues. Okay. Uh, all these social conventions that we have that we consider, you know, normal with or without religion, because sometimes the state props these things up, right? Like the state loves you getting married. I'm not, and please, please, again, I'm not knocking marriage. If you're married, I know people that have tremendous, very happy marriages, uh, and their marriages don't keep them from having fun with other people too, frankly. Uh, so I'm not knocking marriage. I'm just saying in general, uh, that the state loves the fact that, that, that people get married, loves the fact that they have children. Um, you know, all, all this stuff, uh, they, you know, they love the fact that you, you know, you work all the time, you know, and, and, so they can collect taxes on you. Uh, I, you know, all, all this business. Okay. And so, you know, no one questions, uh, actually the, the, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy has a funny phrase for this and she calls it the marriage industrial complex. Okay. And it's, it, it's clever because it makes you wonder like, yeah, how much is the nuclear family? The, you know, the family, the normal family, as we know it, even if let's say, it's a, you know, a mom and a mom, you know, it's a lesbian couple or it's a gay couple, uh, you know, even, even, or, you know, homosexual couple, however, whatever way you want to phrase it, even if it's that, you know, how much does that institution propagate the state? Okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you being married. All right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's a school of thought. There's only one school of thought that I know of throughout history that questioned those things. Okay. And that questioned whether or not humans are meant to just be baby makers, or maybe we can evolve beyond that Things, all the, all those kinds of things. Okay. There's so many social conventions that, that feminism addresses. You read the works of like Emma Goldman and, and you'll, you'll find out about them. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's really where, where my, you know, that's where I come from in using that term, uh, mainly. OK, there, there's plenty of other issues as well, you know, that I that I identify with uh, and that I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, I've talked about rape culture before, you know, and if you need an example of rape culture, the TSA. Totally societally accepted uh, and they admittedly pull, uh, you know, conventionally beautiful people out of line to feel them up. Yeah, you want to call that molestation, fine, but that's a pretty fine line to draw, okay, between rape and molestation. You might as well call it, I mean, really, you know, or, I mean, fine. Is it rape when they take the blue glove and they start doing cavity searches? Yeah. Okay. Or when you have a New Mexico, when you have a guy who, uh, you know, who, who gets multiple 
colonoscopies to find drugs. He gets multiple colonoscopies. Colonoscopies are, uh, you know, life-threatening procedures. These aren't things you just do. You certainly don't do two or three of them, you know, to a guy when clearly there's no sign of drugs in the guy's ass. All right. Uh, and so the only, you know, again, the only philosophy that discusses rape culture is feminism. Okay. By a name. Now we can come up with another term, uh, the term individualist. I dig that. I'm all for that. We can come up with, you know, gender equality, all that stuff, but that doesn't really surround like how do we talk about social conventions in general? Okay. And like gender conventions and things like that. How do we surround all of that? You know, just saying individualist and things of that nature. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that works, but it doesn't like really say it. So, but anyway, I just wanted you to know where I come from on that. Okay. I don't come from it as men are assholes. Men are evil. Kill them all. You know, I mean, that's, that's just, that's not where I come from. On, on that issue okay so i hope that clarifies that and uh i'll be back with more hey brian what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam i was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower but now i can't see that's why i have it and it's from eff.org eff what's that it's the electronic frontier foundation totally donor funded organization that fights for internet freedom privacy wow that sounds great so eff.org I support internet freedom and privacy, and maybe you do too. Yeah, and you can support them with Bitcoin. The Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org. Brian! Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk where we talk about video games and this week boy we've got a story this story is actually kind of popular uh apparently i didn't really know about it i found out about it from a listener a friend of the show and uh and this is something you know i'm i'm going to be able to speak to what happened i can't speak about the game because i've never played uh i've purposely never played i never wanted to and uh this story comes from tickled and I have confirmed that this is absolutely true. So, because generally, you know, when I get it from certain websites, I'm like, uh, you know, is this, is this all legit? Even when it comes from big websites, like there was that one, uh, there was that one story about the poor woman, um, you know, in Huffington post where it ended up all, you know, being a sham and it really it duped me. It, it, you know, it was, uh, I felt, you know, I felt terrible, <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, you know, so, so these things happen, you got to check into these things and I do my best to do that. And if I ever find out that a story I talked about wasn't legit, I will readily admit to it. So, and, and you can call me out on it and believe me, I don't, I really, I generally don't get mad, um, at, at emails. I've gotten mad, really mad at one email and I'm going to talk about that email later on, but it wasn't even an email for this show. It was actually for another show I'm on, which is sex and science hour that I do with, uh, Dr. Stephanie Murphy. So um, this is from tickled and it's, I can't believe they are doing this. It's disgusting. Uh, imagine that you've slaved away at developing an app in memory of your mother, but then a big company came along, made almost an exact replica and squashed yours into almost non-existence. Well, this is exactly what happened to Albert ransom, the man behind candy swipe, candy swipe. After years of battling the giant company that wronged him, Albert sent an open letter to Candy Crush Saga. 
which he then posted online for all to see. Um, open letter to King.com who wants to cancel the registration of the candy swipe trademark. Dear King, congratulations. You win. I created my game candy swipe in memory of my late mother who passed away at an early age of 62 of leukemia. I released candy swipe in 2010, five months after she passed. And I made it because she always liked these sort of games. And in fact, if you beat the full version of the Android game, you still get the message saying, the game was made in memory of my mother, Layla. I created this game for warm-hearted people like her and to help support her, uh, help support my family, wife, and two boys uh, who are 10 and 4. Two years after I released Candy Swipe, you released Candy Crush Saga on mobile. Uh, the app icon, candy pieces, and even the rewarding sweet are ne nearly identical. And there's pictures here comparing Candy Swipe and Candy Crush Candy Crush Saga, and they do. They, they look almost exactly the same. Uh, so much so that I have hundreds of instances of actual confusion from users who think Candy Swipe is Candy Crush Saga or that Candy Swipe is a Candy Crush Saga knockoff. So when you attempted to register your trademark in 2012, I opposed it for likelihood of confusion, which is within my legal right. Given I filed for my registered trademark back in 2010, two years before Candy Crush Saga existed. Now, after quietly battling this trademark opposition for a year, I have learned that you now want to cancel my Candy Swipe trademark so that I don't have the right to use my own game's name. You are able to do this because only within the last month you purchased the rights to a game named Candy Crusher, which is nothing like Candy Swipe or even Candy Crush Saga. Good for you. You win. I hope you're happy taking the food out of my family's mouth when Candy Swipe clearly existed well before Candy Crush Saga. I spent over three years working on this game as an independent app developer. I learned how to code on my own after my mother passed, and Candy Swipe was my first and most successful game. It's my livelihood, and you are now attempting to take that away from me. You have taken away the possibility of Candy Swipe blossoming into what, is, what it has the potential of becoming. I have been quiet not to exploit the situation, hoping that both sides could agree on a peaceful resolution. However, your move to buy a trademark for the sole purpose of getting away with infringing on the candy swipe trademark and goodwill just sickens me. This also contradicts your recent quote by Ricardo in an open letter on intellectual property posted on your website, which states, we believe in a thriving game development community and believe that good game developers both small and large have every right to protect the hard work they do and the games they create. I myself was only trying to protect my hard work. I wanted to take this moment to write you this letter so that you know who I am because I now know exactly what you are. Congratulations on your success. Sincerely, Albert Ransom, president of Ransom apps, Inc. Um, and then, of course, it says, if you know anyone that plays Candy Crush Saga, give this a share. Okay. Um, well, as I said earlier in this very episode, uh, I don't believe in intellectual property. Uh, I don't think you can own an idea. And you certainly can't, especially in the digital realm, you can't steal things. Okay. <laughs> you know, because no one lost anything if you made a copy of a game. Uh, you know, like no one lost a physical item. It's not like if someone stole your copy, your board game of Dungeons and Dragons that you have on your tabletop, then you lost something. If someone took a copy of Candy Swipe digitally, 
you didn't lose anything. You still have your copy. So no one actually stole anything. Okay. Um, I mean that, that's kind of anarchy and libertarianism 101, right? Uh, you, you know, I mean that, that's, that's a pretty basic, uh, though objectivists would totally disagree with me. I understand that the capital O objectivists, uh, you know, of the, of the iron Rand flavor, uh, you know, would from the ARI would, would totally disagree with me on this and, you know, whichever, uh, I, I feel that, you know, anarchists are in the consistency on this, but anyway, this is still very sad. Um, you know, I don't, I hold, I frankly, I hold no ill will for candy crush saga coming into existence. Um, for, you know, for, for the, uh, Albert ransom, you know, to get kind of mad about the fact that now he actually won't be able to continue to have candy swipe because of a trademark, uh, you know, case that essentially says, well, candy swipe, you know, that's got to get taken away and he has to rename his game or something. Okay. That's ridiculous. Not really. That's being an asshole. Okay. I mean, come on. Uh, th- th- this is, this is, yes, it goes against like, like Albert Ransom brought up as far as their own statement that, uh, you know, we believe in a thriving game development community and believe that good game developers, both small and large have every right to protect the hard work they do in the games they create. Okay. Well, Albert wants to protect his game and you're not allowing him to do that. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's a double standard being set there. Okay. I mean, the real problem here is that, you know, is that intellectual property exists in the first place to where one could, could make a claim against the other. Okay. Now Albert made a claim and, you know, I disagree with him on doing that. Uh, what was his claim that, uh, you know, he likelihood of confusion that he opposed it for. Okay. So, you know, I guess one could say, well, that's not so bad if he's just saying, you know, hey, this could be confused with mine. Uh, you know, it, it, the words themselves sound like they're just saying, hey, you know, could you just name it something else? That way we don't get confused here. It's not like that. It's a legal action. It's a law. Thus, it's backed by the gun saying, no, you need to name it something else, you know, and if you name it this, you know, I'm going to sue you and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that that's that's crazy. You know, obviously, I don't agree with that course of action. Uh, okay. But the bottom line is, is that candy swipe and candy crush saga, we're both making, you know, mo- enough money for everyone to be happy. Obviously candy crush saga is making an insane amount of money. Okay. Because the business behind it, uh, you know, was able to market it better than Albert ransom was with candy swipe. Uh, I mean, like you said, candy swipe is his bread and butter. Okay. Uh, and that's, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, was Albert Ransom mad about the fact that Candy Crush was, you know, stealing a whole bunch of profits? Uh, sure, maybe he was jealous of that fact. But I mean, you know, Candy Crush just had the better marketing. You know, Candy Crush is available on Facebook where it's insanely popular and it makes, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact numbers. Um, so. You know, I get it. I understand how that sounds crass, but the, you know, I just, I disagree kind of with both parties here, but definitely in the end, I disagree with Candy Crush and them saying that, you know, no, please, you know, you did hard work. You should be able to have it, but then they're forcing Candy Swipe to, you know, for the name itself to no longer exist. Uh, that, you know, yeah, that, that's a wrong move. You know, that's bad. That's a bad business practice in my opinion. I understand why they're doing it. It's cutthroat. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that's terrible of them to do. Okay. But you know, it is important to, to keep in mind that a lot of people would say, wow, you know, I think that the, the common answer to this would be that boy, you know, Candy Crush shouldn't have been allowed to have been made. Candy Swipe should be making all this money and he did it for his mother and all this stuff. And, that, and that's very, very sweet. Uh, you know, that, that, that's really, that's great. Um, but at the same time, they, they were both making decent money, you know, as, as Albert Ransom said, you know, even though he had a game very, very similar, both moved on. Okay. And this, this is this really, this occurs all the time in the gaming industry. Uh, with Battlefield, you know, Battlefield and Call of Duty relatively, you know, at the surface, I understand the differences. Yes, I know Battlefield can do 64 players and you have jets and all this stuff. Look, I get it. OK, um, you know, Battlefield and Call of Duty, you know, at face value, I think are very similar games. They both do. They both bank. You know, they both do plenty, plenty of money. All right. So there's room for both of them to exist. And that's really what makes what Candy Crush uh, saga is doing so much, you know, harsher and so much worse is that there's no reason, you know, no one's losing what, I mean, they're losing the, the paltry, you know, maybe thousands of dollars that, that ransom's making off a of candy swipe. Come on. You know, it, it, it's crazy. So, it, you know, it is, it is a, a tear jerking story, but I don't want people to fall for the fact that, wow, you know, no, we need IP to protect candy swipe. This guy did this for his, you know, his dead mother. We need to protect that. Uh, no, the only way to protect that is to eliminate intellectual property and thus allow his hard work to go on forever without legal recourse or, you know, legal action being able to be taken against him. That's what would really solve this. So it's important. You know, it sounds harsh, but it's really not. Tonight, Knight Rider, who crashes into your living room. I don't believe this. Well, you'd better believe it. A lone crusader for justice drives this crime crasher. The world's most fantastic car. And together they can do just about anything. After all, we're only human. Don't press your luck. And now, buckle up for action with the fastest show on television, Knight Rider. See Knight Rider online today. And now back to Sovereign Tech. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where I cover websites that sometimes, boy, uh, I think in the last episode I covered a website that I thought was an atrocity. Uh, But generally it's something useful, something good, something that I, I like to use. And I have a doozy. This week, this is very exciting, very similar to, to, to another website that I also mentioned uh, during the last triple load to Sovereign Tech. Um, and it comes from the same guy, actually, who gave me the other. And this is from my my good friend, Ray Duran. Uh, and it's it's at archive.org. OK, which that's the Internet Archive. And it's archive.org slash details slash Starlog magazine. Oh yeah, baby. Um, now, you know, you can find the link in the show notes if you need it. If you don't know what Starlog magazine is, get ready. Starlog was around for like 30 years. Uh, maybe to some degrees it's still out there. I don't know. Uh, because it's something it used to get published every month. It used to be like a publishing empire for science fiction and horror and a whole bunch of things, but pretty much anything geeky. Any, any kind of, you know, 
any nerd product or whatever, whatever phrase you want to use, uh, they covered. Okay. And they were the best at, at what they did. Uh, I mean, Starlog was amazing. It was required reading when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties. Uh, you know, you did not go a month or when it be, I think it became a quarterly magazine. Eventually, uh, it had a pretty, you know, it, as the internet came around, you know, a lot of magazines went under. That's just what happened. And I think Starlog was no exception. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, it was, it was a big, I, I just, I had to have it. Every issue that came out had to have, and there's so many great interviews, so many great previews that existed in Starlog. Uh, you got a lot of opinions. There were, there were, uh, you know, like, a essentially, you know, fan letters, you know, uh, or, you know, subscriber letters that we get sent in and you can get, and this is the beauty of it because archive.org has every issue of the magazine ever. <laughs> I mean, this is huge. And uh, I mean, you could get lost for years reading this stuff, every issue you can look at and you just, you get a tremendous insight into what it was like. And, and I really, I recommend doing this read into it because you get a tremendous insight into what it was like to be a science fiction fan in seventies, eighties and nineties. And I think that's important to look into because I think it's very different. Okay. Because we, the internet didn't exist where everybody could just kind of talk to each other, you know, instantaneously about this stuff. All right. Uh, I did a segment of quite a few episodes back where I talked about how, um, in fact, it was the return of the King of the nerds, uh, where I talked about how, you know, where were the doctor who fans in the nineties? You know, when I, I mean, where are, where are all these Doctor Who fans that are out there now? You know, that's the thing. Like, like it's almost, it's okay to watch these shows now, you know, and, and that's a weird thing. You'll find, I think you'll, you'll, you'll feel the mindset back then of what it was like to be really an oddball person, that this was different and that there was a lot of passion behind it because you almost felt persecuted for being into science fiction back then. Maybe it still goes on today, but I, boy, I don't think so. I don't know anybody that, that, that apparently doesn't watch other than myself that doesn't watch Dr. Who. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it, it's weird. Um, that it, in fact, that's the weird thing now is that everybody watches it, you know? And so anyway, I don't mean to turn this into a, some kind of tirade. I want you to enjoy this. Starlog did great work. They did like the first technical manuals for star Wars and all this. I mean, there's so many great things to see in Starlog magazine. It's a great history lesson, and history is important, even when it's history of the future. Hey everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer, but did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business, I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of, I'm probably willing to work on it, or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, where I talk about hackers, uh, you know, people who I consider the real heroes of planet Earth. And uh, this week, you know, I want to I, I kind of came to a realization, actually, at, at Liberty Forum 
something I realized before, too, uh, when I made uh, Aaron Schwartz the Sovereign Tech Person of Excellence for 2013. Um, but there's there's certain people who, rightfully so, get a lot of limelight, like Edward Snowden. Uh, and Aaron Schwartz actually got a got a, a, a very good amount of limelight as well, even though it kind of waned after Snowden came out with his stuff. Um, and I'm okay with that because, I mean, the Snowden revelations were out of this world in what was provided. But there's quite a few, uh, you know, um, whistleblowers, uh, privacy advocates who were at Liberty Forum this year in New Hampshire, 2014, uh, which included Thomas Drake. And... You know, a lot of people don't know these guys, you know, the, the, these people's story. OK, and they don't know that a lot of there's other hackers who are pretty much in exile, just like, you know, Edward Snowden, just like Julian Assange. And I think it's important for them to be highlighted and talked about. And so I want to make sure that those names are known. And so, you know, every once in a while on Sovereign Tech with Hacker Stories, I'm going to start mentioning who these people are. Because their stories maybe haven't been told or aren't getting as, as much press. Uh, and this is one that, that I really haven't heard. I mean, if you're, okay, if you're, you know, li- if you're listening to hacker circles, you know, as in like you follow a lot of, uh, a lot of hacker news sources on Twitter or on Facebook or something like that. Okay. Then yes, you know about these things. Okay. But if your main news sources are, you know, the guardian, or, you know, maybe even just free talk live or, or wherever Huffington post or all this stuff, you know, but some of the more, some of the more not mainstream, but you know, maybe a little under, I mean, you're still not going to have, have heard of these, these guys. Okay. And this is one that maybe a lot of people don't know about. And, and I want people to know about, um, and this is a story from torrent freak torrent freak is a great place to get news about anything related to piracy, which would you know, by nature includes privacy and hacking. Um, and it's the story's a little bit old. Uh, it's, it's still from February. Okay. But, uh, anyway, uh, pirate Bay founders, detention extended investigation continues. Now, who are they talking about? They're talking about Anacata. Okay. Uh, that's, that's who he's popularly known as anyway, pirate Bay founder, uh, Gottfried Svartholm had his custody extended for four more weeks during a behind closed doors court hearing today. The investigation into Gottfried's alleged hacking activities is still ongoing with the prosecution today revealing that police records obtained during the hack may have been transferred to servers abroad. Um, and we're uh, before I read a little bit more as to what exactly is going on with that. I mean, this guy is essentially Anacott is being in, indefinitely detained. Okay. And I am going to, you know, we'll go over what exactly he's being detained for. All right. Because it's, it's, it's really something, but he essentially, he got arrested in Cambodia in, this was back in August, I think of 2012. Okay. Uh, it, you know, it was Swedish authorities, again, pirate bays from Sweden, um, you know, out of, or commonly based out of Sweden. Um, and they, they want, they told, you know, Cambodian police, you know, essentially go get this guy. Uh, and he had been living in Cambodia for quite a few years actually. So, um, and you know, they have no extra extradition treaty as far as I know, like Cambodia and Sweden don't have an extradition treaty between them. Uh, so, you know, it was, it wasn't difficult for Sweden to say, Hey, 
go get this guy, you know, go, go get, go get Anacata. Um, so what exactly are they getting him for? Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of it kind of reads, you know, at face value with Anacata, it reads like Aaron Schwartz where, uh, he's at least being accused. I mean, the first problem is, is of course with the pirate Bay. Okay. Uh, the, you know, the Swedish police, they, they did their thing, uh, way like in 08, it was a while back where they raided the pirate Bay's servers. Um, and it's an amazing story if you don't know about it, because, uh, you know, they, <laughs> the pirate Bay was back up like 24 hours later you know, after this huge police raid. Anyway, he was accused of, you know, the Pirate Bay in general, not just not not just Anacata, but everybody uh, in charge of the Pirate Bay were charged with, you know, helping people infringe copyrights, essentially. And, you know, pretty much the, you know, the, the Swedish government just caved to the RIAA, uh, the MPAA, of course, you know, the music industry and the movie industry in America, the organizations that represent those. Uh, and you know, they just finally like caved to the pressure of those groups and they tried to bring down the pirate Bay now didn't work. Okay. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a legal battle that kind of kept going on and on and on. Uh, then there was a situation which was called the student Bay where essentially it was the pirate Bay servers kind of, okay. This is where, you know, you gotta be careful with the wording. Okay. So I'm just generalizing. We're allowing for free, you know, the torrenting via magnet links or actual torrent files. Uh, the difference being, if you don't know the difference, all right, a magnet link essentially just like leads to a URL somewhere else. And a torrent file is an actual, just a little file that will activate your torrent program essentially and lead you to the URL where it's at. Uh, the pirate Bay years ago stopped hosting torrent files as a standard. There's still some up there, but they, they stopped hosting them as a standard. That way they weren't being the link themselves they they weren't giving you the exact file that allowed you to get the torrent they were just hosting the the magnet link so they essentially became the google of torrents to put it simply and with the student bay they were allowing for the downloading of you know academic materials for free which academic materials meaning college textbooks things like that that cost you know hundreds of dollars a piece uh, so that was really scandalous. So there was a huge uproar about that legal case brought up, I think like 2009 or something like that. Uh, just crazy. You know what, what, what all happened with that. So that's was, that was the start of his legal troubles. Uh, there was, you know, the extradition, he ended up in Denmark, Anacata for providing all this stuff. Now, a lot of this stuff he denied having any knowledge of like student Bay. He essentially said, I didn't know that site existed. Uh, you know, other things, you know, he's just like, yeah, so what? But I mean, bottom line, Anacata is a guy who is trying to liberate information. He's not a thief. He's not stealing anything. We talked, remember, we talked about this during game talk. Okay. Making a copy of something digital, nobody loses anything. So it's not actually theft. Okay. We got to break it down that simple to where did, what is theft? Theft is the loss of property. Did someone lose property? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, I want to read a little bit more from the torrent freak story. 
following a failed appeal to the Supreme Court in Sweden, uh, Gottfried Sparholm was extradited, extradited to Denmark last November, where he now stands accused of hacking offenses. Denmark accuses the Pirate Bay co-founder of hacking into the mainframe computers of IT company CSC. In an earlier case in Sweden, he was acquitted of similar charges but convicted for hacking into IT company Logica. Gottfried appeared in court again today, and during the closed-door hearing, his custody was extended for a minimum of four more weeks. Until then, he will remain in prison as the authorities fear that he may compromise evidence if released. During the hearing, prosecutor Maria Kangari said that the investigation into the alleged hacking carried out by Gottfried and his 20-year-old co-defendant is still ongoing. Since it's such a complex case, it may take a few months before the indictment is finalized. The investigation is not over. It is very extensive and, and a and complex hacking case. Police don't have a clear picture yet of what has happened with the stolen files. Again, the files are still there on the servers. Nothing could get stolen. You can't express this point enough to people. They, they don't understand what they complain about when this sort of IP thing happens is they say that like, like somehow missed or like maybe private data got out. Okay, that's a concern, but that's not a case of that's not theft. All right. That, you know, that's a case of like maybe defamation of character, something along those lines. It's a different story. Okay. But as far as things getting stolen, you know, it can't be stolen if the thing is still there. And it is. Uh, Anyway, Gottfried continues to deny involvement in the Danish hacks um, and is pleading not guilty. According to him, someone else must have gained access to his machine to carry them out. So what did he hack? Let's let's move on. Um, among other things, Gottfried is accused of accessing a large number of files, including police records and driver's licenses, uh, some of which were transferred to servers outside Denmark. The prosecution says that Danish police have asked for police or from for assistance from authorities in Australia, hoping to find out what happened to the stolen records. Um, and so, so that, that's, that's what happened. Now you want to get into like privacy concerns. Fine. That's different. Okay. That's, that's a little bit different of, of what's being talked about here, but the way his whole, this whole case is being against, you know, made against him is that he's a thief. A thief isn't even the term that can be used. Okay. And, you know, even with what's, what's being accused of, I mean, is it a setup? Maybe. You know, this is a guy who, let's see, what did he try to free before? Oh, uh, you know, movies, uh, academic works, things of that nature. And now suddenly he becomes interested in, in driver's licenses. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, it's odd, right? So, but we've got, we really, we, these people are pretty much, you know, they just came around and said, oh, you know, this is so complex. This is going to take months. They're going to leave him in solitary confinement in Denmark forever. I mean, that, that's about what this boils down to for really what they're really wanting him for, because there's no, again, the, the case is still being made. They don't know that he actually did this. You know what they're accusing him of, of breaking into CSC. They're getting after him because he ticked off the MPAA and the RIAA. I, in my opinion, that's pretty clear. They've been trying to get him for years. And now finally they think they have something that can stick along with his, you know, previous history. Okay. These guys are just setting information free and, you know, maybe I need to do, tell you what, 
next Hacker Stories, I'm going to talk about the ethics of torrenting. I know, a libertine talking about ethics. It's crazy, right? But I'm going to go for it. Either way, this guy's a hero. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Would you like to play a game? Game of the Week. It is time for Game of the Week, where I cover a game that maybe, you know, went under the radar, uh, didn't get, you know, a lot of press. Uh, maybe it never got like a, you know, a big release for a console or for a PC. I generally only talk about PC gaming unless it's like more classic consoles. Um, really ever since, uh, like the kind of the, the PlayStation two era, I guess you could say, um, I, you know, I haven't messed with consoles that much. I have enough to stay. I I've done it enough to stay abreast of how well they work, you know, what's really coming out for them. But most of the games that come out for consoles come out for PC anyway. So I don't see a whole lot of point in me. Uh, filling my rooms anymore, you know, with 20 game systems, which believe me, I used to have it that way. Uh, but uh, this week, this is a, a great game that's been out for a while. And it actually, it does have a sequel, uh, a spiritual sequel, as they would call it, uh, coming out very, very soon. But this game's awesome. Okay. And it's for Windows uh, and it's called, and it's free. This is the beauty is that this is totally free. Believe me, you start playing it, you're going to be wondering, how is this for free? And it's a racing game for PC. It's called Nitronic Rush. Okay, and you can go to nitronic-rush.com, and that will, that, that'll take you to the site, and you can download it from there, you know, and, and you can get the soundtrack for free and the game. Now, it's a racing game. If you've ever played, the reason they use the word Rush in the name, okay, not that this was in any way related to the development team of the game I'm about to mention. Okay. But the reason their name rushes in nitronic rush is because it's definitely an homage to the rush, uh, San Francisco rush games that midway made, or like the classic rush 2049 definitely has a lot in common with rush 2049, which boy, if you've never played, uh, rush 2049, get your hands on that. I think it's available in some form or other for PC. Uh, it was its best versions. Its best version was available for dreamcast. Uh, but you can get it like there's midway arcade treasures that came out for like PS two and some other systems. Uh, that's a great way to get your hands on that game. Um, rush 2049 was this futuristic racing game that had like battle modes, uh, you know, and all these like really far out, things that, that a car could do. And Nitronic Rush does quite a bit of that. Uh, and it just it has a great style. It looks like Tron. If you know the, the Tron movies, uh, if you don't know the Tron movies, please go get to know them. Uh, the Tron and Tron Legacy. And of course, the, the cartoon that Disney made, uh, Tron Uprising, was equally amazing. Uh, maybe not equally, but it was amazing. Anyway, uh, Nitronic Rush, you know, a whole bunch, all the stuff you'd expect from a great racing game, a lot of cars to unlock, uh, you know, but it, it, it's just, it's got a great, great look, super addicting. 
Uh, <laughs> the first time I downloaded it, it was maybe a little over a year ago. Uh, I could like, I couldn't stop playing for, I think two weeks straight. It was so, so good. Uh, and the, really the best way to describe the gameplay is to compare it to the San Francisco rush series in particular rush 2049. Uh, you get to do a lot of nice flips. Uh, you don't really get to break out the wings so much, but you get to jump and there's just a whole bunch of wild abilities. And again, it's totally, totally free. Uh, you do get to do a bit of gliding. So I, I guess it's unfortunate, you know, I shouldn't say that, that you can't break out the wings. That was a popular thing in rush 2049, not in the arcade game. There, there was an arcade version of rush 2049 that didn't allow for this. Um, but if you played it on the home consoles, you could like have these, these stunt wings come out and you could do all these wild flips and they kind of work like thrusters. It was really, really cool. Um, and nitronic rush does allow for that to some degree where you, where you get to do some pretty wild gliding, uh, just, just a lot of fun, you know, and lots of obstacles. And again, it's got that Tron look, you know, so everything's very neon. Uh, if you played the recent, uh, blood dragon, uh, far cry blood dragon that had that same neon look, you know, kind of eighties, nineties, lush extreme, you know, you can't really beat it. Uh, so check that out, but also they have a sequel game coming out. I don't know if this is going to have the same exact style, but if the game plays the same, I'll still take it. And it's called Distance. And I think this one, they're actually going to be, this one isn't going to be free. But believe me, you play Nitronic Rush, you're going to be like, How, why the hell was that free? I already said that, but believe me, it's true. Uh, so look out for Distance as well. And there's a link for Distance when you go to nitronic-rush.com. You'll, you'll find the link for Distance. Look into that. Support it if you can. This kind of gameplay that for whatever reason the AAA companies think thinks that nobody wants uh, is amazing and well worth having. So I, you know, I totally support these companies that come out with just these great indie games that look phenomenal and play even better than the games of yore. I'll be back with more of Sovereign Tech. Do you have a business or product that you are interested in getting advertised to a largely U.S.-based audience on an award-winning podcast and radio show airing on hundreds of radio stations? Let Free Talk Live be a part of your advertising portfolio, because the world of audio never fades. Contact me, Brian Sovereign, and I can get an advertising package that will work within your budget. Email me at brian at freetalklive.com. And that's Brian with an I. Again, brian at freetalklive.com. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where usually I geek out every once in a while, though. Um, I have to bring up a topic. You know, a lot of times I'd love to just talk about comic books and movies and television shows, uh, you know, past television shows. There's not really much on now anymore that uh, that that I care to watch um, or, you know, it could be a book, whatever. Uh, you know, it could even be another game or product or something. I usually like to talk about something, you know, that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, but sometimes I have to do a topic 
that I, I consider, you know, important or that's frustrating me maybe. And, uh, this week, uh, I've got a topic and again, this is actually, this is an email from a listener, not of sovereign tech. It's actually an email to a listener of the show, sex and science hour, which I do with the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on, uh, the let's talk Bitcoin network. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, please go, you know, go to the let's talk Bitcoin network or the let's talk Bitcoin soundcloud page. And you'll, you'll see it. We're, we're three episodes in. Um, and it, it's, I, I'm enjoying doing the show immensely. And I think it's a really, really good, it, it's, one hour, you know, sex and science hour. It's one hour. It's a good time. You know, we, we really, it, it, it's to my mind, to some degree, it's a rapid fire stories on steroids, uh, because in one hour we get through like talking with relative depth, uh, you know, sometimes nine, 10 stories. I mean, you know, we go through stuff really, really fast and we talk about obviously in like, it's in the name sex science and uh we throw in some bitcoin because of course we're in the let's talk bitcoin network and so we talk about bitcoin here and there um and in the first episode you know we we have stephanie and i have show prep okay and the first episode was recorded around the time that there was the debate between ken ham and bill nye this was a very popular debate uh because you know bill nye is of course the scientist uh you know who is uh you know, pushing forward, you know, the theory of evolution and Ken Ham is a creationist. Uh, he is a guy, you know, that, that believes that the earth was created in six days. He's Christian. Uh, Ken Ham is a guy I've met in the past. Ken Ham is, uh, a brilliant guy. Bill Nye, of course, is a hero of mine growing up. Bill Nye, the science guy was a, was a great show. I really enjoyed it. It was the first time I saw floating cars, which, uh, you know, I still, amazingly, I never got around to owning one of those, but who knows, who knows what the future holds. Um, not that if you donate to the show, by the way, Sovereign Tech accepts donations in, uh, BitShares, uh, as well as, uh, Namecoin, Nextcoin, you know, NXT, um, and Litecoin and Bitcoin. If you donate to the show, oh, we also accept PayPal now too, by the way, we do accept PayPal. If you donate to the show, I am not going to use that to buy a floating car. Don't worry. Uh, anyway, going on. So you have Ken Ham, Bill Nye, they had this, uh, they had this debate. And then after the fact, there was this uh, popular article going around where, you know, uh, some Christians wrote down questions to Bill Nye, you know, questions to atheists, you know, answer this one. You know, if you're so smart, you answer this question. And the questions were maybe one or two of them were somehow interesting. Uh, otherwise, admittedly, they were pretty mundane, not insulting Christians by this. Okay. Uh, I would, when, even when I was a Christian, I thought Christians and questions to atheists and rebuttals to atheists, I thought were weak. Again, this is when I was a devout Christian. Okay. Um, and so we went over these and we went over the debate on the show on sex and science hour, Stephanie and I, we went over the debate, uh, and I was very gracious. Okay. To, to creationists in this, because I, first off, I said that Bill Nye won or that, uh, that Ken Ham, I should say, won the debate. I said, Ken Ham is not an idiot. Ken Ham is a brilliant person. I know him personally. He is a brilliant person. Okay. Uh, I said that there are a multitude of holes in the theory, in the, the popular theory of evolution. Okay. That Bill Nye was trying to defend. 
and I went down those holes and I gave the possible answers that atheists would have a hard time, I think, you know, kind of attacking, okay, or rebutting. I was very, very gracious in this, okay? And so this segment got an email sent in to the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, and I'm going to read this email uh, from a listener, and I will keep it completely anonymous. But uh, here we go. Uh, I'm a fan of all the shows on the LTB network. I love what you do. I wanted to say that the sex and science hour really turned me off. They were discussing creationism versus evolution. They were very biased, very anti-creationism. The whole tone was that evolution has been proved, which it is not. I can't believe that people would be stupid enough to talk about such a hot topic from such a biased, one-sided point of view. This does not have to do with my beliefs. Opinions should definitely not be given on such a topic. Okay. Whenever someone, please, you're, you're practically incapable of never giving an opinion. Uh, but anyway, let's go on. The, the hosts both come off, came off as being quite unintelligent, even though they clearly believe they were superior to any pro-religion persons. This creationism debate has been going on for a very long time. When something is based on beliefs and assumptions, it cannot be concretely proven. What exactly happened to the dinosaurs? What space, what does space really go on forever? Uh, we will never know for sure. However, I look forward to knowing for sure these longstanding debate answers, whatever, uh, some of this is broken up, as soon as the hosts give their great knowledge to the world on them and others. Basically, my point is that discussion, discussions should begin with unbiased perceptions and possibly some discussions should just be avoided. Okay. I'm going to address that first part or that last part, I should say, uh, that some discussions should just be avoided the fuck they should be avoided. No. In fact, the instant someone says they should be avoided, everybody start talking about it, break out the spray paint and start painting the town on whatever that topic is. Just like that. That's ridiculous to try and shut people down. No, you shouldn't talk about that. This is crazy. I hate that. I, you know, in workplaces, okay, look, you don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics. Why? Because everybody knows it's bullshit or that that's the conclusion that's going to end up, you know, coming to. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. So my main issue with this, okay. Like I, like I've said on this show, I don't actually get mad generally, uh, you know, over emails that get sent to me. In fact, this is the first one I've ever gotten mad about, uh, really mad about the reason I'm mad is that the questions he, he, you know, brought up the things that he brought up. He said that they seem biased. No, you can go back and listen to the show. I believe it's episode one. Okay. I gave them, I said to the pro-religious people, I said, no, there's holes in the theory of evolution. These are them and there's problems. I agreed and I congratulated religious people for not taking the theory of evolution at face value and for, you know, poking holes in the armor. I was so kind. Okay. I was being so nice because that's what I was told is, Hey, you know, this show, the, you know, sex and science hour, in the, and I wasn't being told by this by Stephanie, but by other people in the, the common perception, this is the big time 
Okay. And we need, you know, we, we want to appeal. We can't, we're not just talking to Liberty people. Now we got to appeal to a master audience blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. So I'll be nice. I'll be a little more gracious. Okay. And that's what I did. And also I was dealing with the fact that people have been writing into free talk live saying that, you know, oh, as a Christian, I feel like I would be hated if I came to New Hampshire. You know, you people just talk with so much. The atheists are just, oh, you know, Christians, terrible Christians, terrible, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm dealing with all this. I'm like, OK, fine. I'm going to be a lot nicer about it. And then I'm nicer about it. I give you credit. For where I think you're right. And then you email me and say, how dare you talk about this stuff? You unbiased or you biased, unintelligent asshole. What? Let me get back. <sighs> Let me get back to like the whole thing about opinions. Okay. Um, I, I just, I want to say it again. You can't not have an opinion. And like, I mean, what do you want podcasters to do? Read off of spreadsheets? You know, I mean, that just, that, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, people have opinions. He has an opinion in the email. I mean, I'm so, so bothered by the fact, again, that it's like, no, some things just shouldn't be discussed. Then how does anyone, you know, I, I mean, something so serious as to the origin of the universe, how does anyone believe anything if no one can talk about it? Uh, it it's, it, it's really a pathetic statement, but okay. So, you know, you, you, we have... <laughs> I get it. I understand, especially how I can sound on free talk live on sovereign tech, you know, towards religious people. I know how I can sound, but you know, here I was really trying. I'm being as I, you know, you can listen to it. Please listen. I, I said earlier, listen to it, listen to the show. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was biased during it. I don't think so. Yes, I came at it, you know, under the auspices that, yeah, I'm an atheist. Okay. But look, you got to understand, you know, I, I don't believe in, in, you know, I don't think the big bang is how the universe is created. I think there's other scientific theories that are far more valid. Some of them recent, others older. And <laughs> You know, that, that's the thing. And like with the dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah. You know, when you find, when you go to Montana, okay. And you find a fossil, you know, pretty much a complete fossilized record of a T-Rex and those bones still have bone marrow in them. You're going to tell me that that bone marrow survived 65 million years of, you know, the temperature changes on the earth. No, no way. You know, I, I don't believe that for a second. Okay. So my point is, is, Hey, you know, I'm giving you speaking of bone, I'm giving you a bone. I'm saying, yes, you have some valid points. Okay. And I'm not telling you, you can't think that way. Now, if you're, you know, if ridiculous questions get asked, of course. Yeah. I mean, whether you're atheist or Christian people, you know, kind of insult. All right. But this was just this was so crazy because here I was trying to be, 
you know, I was really trying to open up and say, okay, fine, let's, let's have the conversation. And then I get an email saying, you know, unintelligent, uh, and, and that, you know, wow, this just shouldn't be discussed. You know, so how am I supposed to feel? Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, I was hurt because I'm hearing, you know, you want to be respected. You want me to listen to you. Okay. I listen to you. I know your deal, but then you turn around and, 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 you know, criticize me when you clearly didn't listen to me. Anyway, Carpe Lucem, enjoy the rest of the quadruple load. Oh boy. I'll, I'll see you in the next episode. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs>